So this week I got uh, my copy of the Baseball Forecaster 2024. Uh, it's my book that I use to, you know, really deep dive all the players uh, in MLB for the upcoming season. There's some really great analysis in there on all the players. And today I came across one of the best forecaster boxes I think I've ever read in my entire life. So I'm just going to read it here on air because it is spectacular. It's about Pirates catcher Jason DeLay. So the box says 118-251 in 187 plate appearances at Pittsburgh. Unless you're desperate, and we mean like drinking your own urine after a plane crash in the Andes and contemplating cannibalism desperate, to play an actual live human as your second catcher who might hit his only home run and steal his only base all year when you happen to play him, don't delay here. We repeat, do not delay. Who wrote that? Patches of Hooligan? <laughs> Good lord. So that's some like major shade on Jason DeLay. Like, what did the poor guy do to deserve that? Apparently, he did nothing. He did nothing. Yeah, so pick up your copy today. I highly recommend it. It shapes the way I think about baseball, I feel like. So. Hello and welcome back to Getaway Day. As always, I am Mason. He is Mason. We're also both Gautham. If you don't know who you, who we are, neither do we. We're all on the same page here. Wait, hold on. Do you know who we are? Who are we? Getaway Day. We are the Titans. The mighty, the mighty Titans. Titans. Um, all right. We are here, as always, to talk about the biggest happenings in the sport of baseball. And before we do that, Gotham, it is December 13th at 8.42 p.m. as we are recording this right now. How is life? How are you doing? What's good? What's new? Tell us what you got going on. Yeah, I can't complain too much. Life's life's pretty good uh for the most part we're hurtling towards the end of 2023 which is kind of hard to believe uh trying to wrap things up uh at work and uh you know in life not really but uh <laughs> trying to wrap things up and hold on for the, bud. For the year for do the i need year. to come do i need to come see you <laughs> no 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 okay uh but yeah um hopefully this off season can really start picking up too um uh, and really free up the, the free agent market. I think we're getting close to something big, something more big happening, and uh, then we can get some some moves for the Cubs, which I would like to see. No, those aren't going to happen. Period. Just they're done. Ricketts is out of money. Period. Yeah, probably he he would he would say that. Yeah, TD Ameritrade went under. He's got no money. But if you guys notice the title of this episode, it's happening. It actually has two meanings. Uh, one, there's stuff happening in baseball. 
We will talk about that at length tonight, as we usually do. But in much more exciting news, if you notice the background behind me, it is yet again a hotel room. The same hotel room, ironically, as the first couple episodes I recorded in Montreal. I ended up back in the same room. Well, okay. There's a lot of rooms in this hotel. I'm in the same one. Um, I finally go home tomorrow and I don't have to come back for the near future. At least the near future, yeah. At least the near future. Happy about that. So we're celebrating a last hotel pod for a while. Uh, So yeah, that's what's going on in my life. Nice, nice. All right. What do you say we get into some of the biggest happenings in baseball? All right, let's do it. So we should start with the biggest, right? The biggest. Only the biggest. Okay. So the the biggest, like, everyone's been waiting. Free agent has finally picked his team. Jamer Candelario. Third baseman. For the Cincinnati Reds. Repeat after me. It's happening. It's happening. All right. So, uh, Jamer. To a team that has Spencer Steer, Matt McClain, Ellie De La Cruz, not Not CEH. That's the football player. That's uh, Clyde Edwards. CES. Christian Encarnacion Strand. Prospect Noel V. Marte. Um, Jonathan India. Jonathan India. Tyler Stephenson, who uh, Stephenson, who occasionally plays first base. Uh, we have seven guys that we just listed that are all on this roster right now that all play infield positions. Yeah, and I think the point that I want to make, my biggest point with the Jamer signing is he might not even be like the third or the fourth fourth he might be the fifth best third baseman on the roster and that's like that that is factoring in a few things so i'll start off by going back and saying jamer you know he's a solid player but he's not a player that any team is going to go out and sign him and say this is our big move to put us over the top um he's not really a difference making player like he's a solid player he's an average player probably um that's all fine, but with this specific fit and team, every other option that they have to play third base is better than Jamer Candelario. With the yeah. young guys like Spencer Steer, with um, like Ellie Noel V. Marte, those guys, it's all about like their development. You know, if Jamer is playing, that means that's one game where one of those prospects is not getting reps at third base because that's clearly like what the long-term solution is. And then when you talk about like performance, the other guys may very well already be superior performers than Jamer today. So for me, like I'm with you, like he's not the best third baseman they have on the team. But the weirdest part for me is that knowing they have that many third basemen, they have made Jamer the highest paid player on the team. 
Yeah, for so the they next have to play three years. $15 million dollars a year for three years, which is not an insane contract. Like, honestly, that feels about right for Jamer, doesn't it? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, he's coming off a very, very good season. He had a career high in home runs. Um, he was one of, like, he really had a really good bounce back season. But if you just go back to 2022, he was non-tendered. He was 22% worse than league average as a hitter. And he's, he had to sign a one-year, $5 million contract with the Nationals, who are like bottom-tier team. So what's who's to say that he doesn't go back to being more like that guy than, than the guy he was in 2023? It's possible. I mean, he, I mean, he may, but you have to remember that like we're at the point now where the luxury tax ceiling is going up. Inflation is also going up. So, and that was not planned when the CBA was planned. So, like, money doesn't go as far. So, really, this isn't quite as bad as it seems. Well, again, is. with the additional, like, higher quote unquote ceiling that MLB has, like, player salaries are going to go up for these mid tier players. Well, I'm just talking about so, a year ago, the guy was making $5 million, and now he's making it, Yes, but he was on a one-year prove-it deal, and he one-year prove it. Proved yeah, it. Proven true. it? Prevented it? Not pre- Proved it. He did the thing that he went out to do. Yeah. So he earned a bigger contract than he had last year. Uh-huh. Did he earn three times? Maybe not. But then again, like I'm saying, luxury tax goes up. Inflation is also going up, so naturally people are going to ask for more money. Like it makes sense that he got fifteen mil a year. That's not an insane amount of money for players right now, especially given the top tier players are somewhere in the thirty to forty million a year range. So that's, fifteen that's seems okay. Not, it's only three it years. Doesn't matter that, though for this uh, for this team though. They're never shopping at the top of the market, and if they're going to waste fifteen million dollars a year, they should do it on something that they need more like pitching. That is the point that I was coming to. Jamer is not the best third baseman on the team. He is the, the team has a plethora of infielders. They don't need more infielders. They were already shopping Jonathan India before they got Jamer. Because they still have to figure out where they're going to put Noel V. Marte if he makes their team. They're still eventually going to have Edwin Arroyo. They have Ellie. They have CES. They have Spencer Steer. They have Matt McClain. Like, they need positions for these young guys. These young guys have, have shown a lot of promise. And I would argue they've shown more promise than what you can probably get out of Jamer. So why are you blocking one of them with Jamer? Yeah, the only one, the only one like defense for signing Jamer is that pretty much all those players that we've mentioned that have pretty high ceilings and are probably going to be really good players down the line, they all could potentially collapse. A guy with Jam, a guy like Jamer, you're you're less worried about that actually happening. So it does. But like, didn't you just get done saying two years ago Jamer collapsed? Yeah, yeah, he's got some of his own collapse risk for sure, but maybe the younger players are even more volatile and they they could be worse. Um that's like the one defense. It it's not it's not major. I still don't 
think it's a good move at all. Uh, but that's like the only, I can't think of any other reason why would the Reds make this move? That I don't know. Like yeah. I've been trying to figure out where all these guys are going to play because is Jamer going to become a first baseman or is he going to take third base? Cause like, honestly, right now they don't, really have like a set first baseman. They have a bunch of guys who probably could move to first. Yeah. And at that point, do you just move Jamer to first and let your young guys that are young, spry, athletic play the athletic positions like third base, second base, shortstop, and then have Jamer play first and be that veteran leader in the clubhouse? Because that's that's the one thing that I could think of that they're doing with it. The thing that kind of bothers me with that is Tyler Stephenson, like he's not an uh, 130 game behind the plate catcher. He's 110, 120 maybe, and he needs to DH. He needs to first base a bit, and that's kind of what they've been doing him w- with him the last couple of years. So now you're putting a guy at first base that you're going to give every day. Granted, you had Votto there before, but Votto had been injured a lot, so it made it a, a little bit easier. Yeah. So this one almost kind of this one will kind of hit close to home for you. It kind of feels like the Cardinals outfield last year, where they had too many guys for not enough spots, and then it ended up being a situation where they were all getting kind of rotated around. No one really and got in a nobody group. had the ability or the time to break out at a position and just own it. Yeah, and and that's like the risk here. That that's what could definitely happen with this team. If like who on this infield can you actually like lock in in Sharpie? I don't think there's anyone that you can say that guy's going to be playing 162 there or 150 or anything like that in the lineup or in a defensive position. In a defensive position, nobody, nobody. Yeah, not not a single even one. Even a guy like Ellie, he's probably going to play a lot but there's the chance that he continues to really struggle and maybe gets sent down or they decide they want to go back to McLean as a shortstop or anything could happen really well and I think McLean is the the wild card that they're using to say this will be okay because McLean played the outfield a decent amount last year and he played it well McLean has been able to play wherever they put him what I think you're steer Mm, I thought it was both McLean only because McLean played base. center last year too. I'm going to check that, but I'm fairly certain McLean played center last year. He played 53 at shortstop, 37 at second base, and four at DH last year. Oh well, I'm making things up then. I think Spencer Steer can play in the outfield. Matt McLean can play somewhere in the infield or DH. My bad, but. The point is, they have a couple different players that they feel confident putting in the outfield. And so maybe they're looking at this from the standpoint of, we don't really have a great outfield either. So maybe we bring in another infielder. We move a guy permanently, like Spencer Steer, to left field. And try and go with that. But, But even on top of Jamer, what are the Reds doing? Like they just spent 15 mil a year for three years on Jamer, and they also signed Nick Martinez and uh, Emilio Pagan. Nick Martinez to two years, $26 million, so 13 mil, and Emilio Pagan to 
two years or, or wait, sorry. Nick Martinez to two years twenty six mil, thirteen mil a year. Uh Emilio Pagan, two years sixteen, eight mil a year. So they just spent uh twenty eight uh thirty six million dollars for this year on a uh, average, average that they really don't need yeah. a relief pitcher who I think they're overvaluing by a lot and a starting pitcher in Nick Martinez who's okay he was the number five in San Diego last year yeah, he he was kind of like the swing man. Did some bullpen, did some starting. He was okay. Like he's probably an okay pitcher, but uh, yeah, so, they're not getting a lot of bang for their buck here. Like they're playing top of market rates for these pretty mid tier players, and they made all these moves pretty early too. Like they didn't even let the market set and determine the rates before they went and did it. They're kind of setting the market rate. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And that's that's usually how the earlier in the off-season deals happen, right? Because they are willing to pay more than basically any other team. So the player will have yeah. no problem signing early. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm a little bit concerned with this team who took so many steps forward last year with all these young players and I realize the risk of them taking a step back and and regressing and having a, a, a strugglesome sophomore season with all these guys. But it feels like a team that you want to go out and actually get some bang for your buck and try and get some better pitchers to go with Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo, who have a lot of promise that that stadium is going to hurt them a lot. But they have a a lot of promise. But you're getting a middling reliever, an okay back of the rotation starter, and Jamer. I think this would be fun. I'm going to write these guys' names down, these three uh, free agent signings that they've had so far. Candelario, Nick Martinez, and Pagan. How many war do those three guys combined put up in 2024? Three. three war out of uh, how many million? 37 million or something you said? Uh, 36. 36 million. I think they're paying 12 million per war. I think Emilio Pagan's actually going to be negative. That's very likely he's a reliever. Yeah, Nick Martinez is going to be not great. Jamer might be a one and a half war player. Yeah, that sounds about right. So so that's like always the thing with uh, this is like the reason why you try to sign the top guys because they're taking three roster spots and and paying, you know, roughly amount, uh, the amount of money that they pay for like a star player. And he's not even going to those three guys are not even going to add up to be what your average star so- player is going to do. So these three guys are well over one third of the payroll for 2024. Right now, the estimated payroll is only $86 million. These guys are making 36 of it. So, so, I mean, I said it last week, we shouldn't judge them or like two weeks ago or whatever. We shouldn't judge them yet. We don't know what their whole off season is going to look like, but are the Reds really going to make like 
other major move? I, I would say no. No, they're owned by Castellini. They're pretty well done. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, they might make a trade. They've been in talks for a couple of these trades, but uh, what we'll talk about here in a little bit is going to make their job a lot harder to swing some of these. So, I don't know. But I think another team that we don't really talk about all that often that we should probably give a little bit of credit to is another central team, this time in the AL, in the Kansas City Royals. So the Royals, I think for two, maybe all three years that we've been doing this podcast, we've been pretty, uh, pretty, uh, not strict. What's the word? We've been pretty vocal about the fact that we uh, think that they're terrible um, and they don't really know what they're doing and they don't have good pitching, even though they drafted four pitchers all in the first round of the same draft. Right. Uh, I feel like, yeah, we we have been (laughs) they've been proving us right every year so far. Yeah. was there not any time that we were like kind of bullish on on Royals pitching? Uh so I was on Brady Singer and I was right to be. He rebounded that year. He's not a top of the rotation for any team starter, but Brady Singer is a decent starting pitcher, right? I mean, he was abysmal this past season, but yeah, I mean like he's probably the best of the bunch. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Let's go yeah. Um and we've given them credit on a couple of their uh, position players that they've had. Like, Nicky Lopez was actually really solid when he was with them. Like, not amazing, but solid. <laughs> if that's really solid, and, yeah, it's, it's rough. It's really rough. Yeah, and Bobby Witt, obviously. Yeah. Really freaking good. So, like, the Royals have their good moments. They have their good decisions. They just have a lot of bad ones because they don't have a lot of money to spend. I feel like they're like the one franchise that I look at, and I know they have more money than they spend, but I also fully believe that they have less money than the other teams that don't spend their money. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I feel like last year I was I was kind of like in on what the Royals were doing in general, even with their offense. Like I thought they had some like solid players like Melendez, Bobby Witt and Vinny, Vinny P, you know? Yeah. Like I thought they had like the makings of a good, good core. It didn't really come together this year, but let's talk about the pitching because that's been the especially terrible part last year. The yeah. Royals were the worst team other than the A's and the A's don't even really count. They're not like an MLB team. They just happen to be an MLB the St. Louis Cardinals. They had a worse were, pitching staff than the Cardinals. Hard to believe, but they did. It's hard to believe. Yeah. So what do they do this offseason? They go out and they sign pitchers, which is generally a good good okay. way to attack that problem. Hold on. Let, let, me, let me introduce this first one in a very specific way. Who would you rather give a three-year, $45 million contract to? Jammer Candelario to the Cincinnati Reds or Seth Lugo to the Kansas City Royals? 
Yeah, so I would definitely give the same amount of money to Seth Lugo over Candelario. Because, yeah, I guess one more point on Candelario. It's like you're kind of buying at the high point, right? You kind of are with Lugo too, but with Candelario, he's coming off the best season of his career. Maybe that's the best we'll ever see. And then then the contract is just not going to pay for itself. Um, Lugo is a pitcher and pitchers are in hot demand here with a whole bunch of pitchers getting like multi or they're getting like big amounts of money for being mid-tier guys and I think Seth Lugo is actually a pretty good pitcher so this deal is like very reasonable for him yeah, and, and Seth Lugo is not a Cy Young candidate by any means. He's uh, so one, uh, because this is what we do. He's 34. He's approaching the point where he's going to start breaking down. Um, so far, it looks like he hasn't really been. Like he's uh, last year a 3.57 ERA, before that a 3.6, before that a 3.5. Like he's been a really consistent, good pitcher. Um, with the Padres last year, put up 2.8, uh, war, like doesn't strike out a ton of people, but, and also he's got like the slowest motion to the plate out of, I think anyone I've ever seen in the history of life. And I've seen videos of like Walter Johnson and, and Cy Young and like these other old guys that take nine years to throw one pitch. Seth Lugo's slower than them. So I don't like watching him throw. But when he does throw, he's fairly, fairly good. So I think this is maybe the best starting pitcher free agent that the Royals have signed in years. (laughs) Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I can't even really... I can only think of the really bad ones off the top of my head, like... um, Jordan like Lyles and Jordan Zach Lyles. Grinke this last year and yeah. um uh Mike Montgomery, I think they brought in to be a starter. Yeah, it was like it's they've never really signed this is yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is a better starting pitcher. Like he's he's a credible starting pitcher. He's not like a number five. He's probably you know a three or a four. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And if you can get Brady Singer to bounce back again and and do what he did in 2021, where he was a a pretty solid pitcher, showed some of his promise, like, this is not going to be a good rotation for a good pitching staff, mind you, but it will be significantly better than what they rocked out there last year. The guy who's actually exciting in this rotation is Cole Reagans, who is amazing. Uh, down the stretch yes. last year, and he is like a guy that he legitimately pitched like an ace, like no joke. Well, and, and Reagan's like was traded there one. at the trade deadline, right? Yeah, from Texas, and uh, yeah. that trade's looking so, quite good for them. So honestly, let's think about it this way: you got Cole Reagan's as your ace, you're bringing in Seth Lugo as your number two, which for any other team, not a number two, but for this team, number two. You got Brady Singer slotted in at your three. And if you can get some improvement out of him this year, your front three there is not abysmal. Yeah. It's not probably World Series worthy, but 
It's it's not abysmal. Then you've got Grinky and you fill in number five. Hey man, you still got Jordan Lyles. He's still there. And you got Daniel Lee. You fill in number five. <laughs> you don't go with Jordan Lyles. Period. Grinky's not no if sands or buts. But what? The Royals did not stop at Seth Lugo. They bought themselves a World Series championship. Uh, they signed Will Smith, who has been on the last three World Series champions. Yeah. Every single year in the last three years, he has been on the World Series champion at the end of the season. Yeah, so this Maybe is he'll like be a the... trade deadline flip, but otherwise the Royals have cemented their World Series championship already. I was going to just say, yeah, he seems like another trade chip. He's basically this year's or oldest Chapman for the Royals. You know, sign a established kind of reliever that probably a team will want at the trade deadline and get something out of it. Was that the Cole of Reagan's trade? Because if it was, that's incredible. It, it was, yeah. Yeah. Like you hit a lottery ticket every once in a while and the Royals may have actually done it. I haven't that's like one of the best like no name guys getting traded that end up like being really good. I mean, we don't know if Reagan's is amazing yet, but initial look like yeah that was that was an awesome get by the royals yeah for sure um let's see what else we got here uh also the, they aren't done though they got one more reliever and i maybe they're thinking he's going to be a reclamation project not that i think they're terribly great at those uh chris stratton who was traded at the trade deadline along with Jordan Montgomery to Texas last year from St. Louis. He's now on Kansas city. It seems like Kansas city is the, uh, collection of forgotten toys from St. Louis. At this point, it just seems like everyone who was ever kind of good at St. Louis, but like, didn't go on to continue being good somewhere else goes to Kansas city. And Chris Stratton is one of those guys. It's just a little weird, but the Royals have signed three legitimate pitchers this offseason. I think that is a fair way to classify it. Yeah, it's different than last year when they signed Jordan Lyles and we said that's a terrible move and we were absolutely... Jordan Lyles, Zach Grinke, and I think Chapman. That was their offseason last year. This year it's Lugo, Will Smith, Chris Stratton. Yeah, they've also traded for Nick Anderson and... um... Picked up another guy in a rule rule five uh, draft, so they're basically like rebuilding their bullpen, kind of building up the rotation, and they need it clearly, as we've spoken about here. Yeah. All right. What do you say we go ahead and move on to? I think the thing that people are wanting us to talk about. Let's go ahead and talk about the big one, the white whale. The Shohei Otani. So Shohei finally signed a contract. Last year we were talking about how every reporter in the history of man was complaining that he was single-handedly ruining their jobs. Woe is me. What are we going to do? There's nothing to talk about. Well, Shohei Otani just went out and said, screw you guys. I'm going to sign a contract that at face value is 10-year, $700 million. 
but uh, hold on. It's it. Sorry, it's actually ten years, four hundred and sixty million. To, uh, no, hold on, that's not right either. Ten years, four hundred and thirty-seven, eight hundred and thirty, or uh, uh, four hundred and thirty-seven million, eight hundred and thirty thousand, five hundred and sixty-three. But but hold on, wait. It's ten year, twenty million dollars, with sixty-eight million dollars a year deferred, forty-six million of which goes into an escrow account each year to accrue interest. It gets paid out on July first each year from twenty thirty-four to twenty forty-three. Oh my God, that was a lot. Okay, so Shohei has big contract, basically what we're learning, right? Yeah, yeah, and we've never seen a contract like this in terms of like the size. And the amounts of deferrals, it's kind of unprecedented and makes sense. Un- unprecedented player gets an unprecedented contract. So, um, I don't know. Before we talk about the contract, how did you feel when Shohei actually signed with the Dodgers? Like what? what was uh, I called that months ago. It made a lot of sense. I It didn't affect me at all. I was sad. Like, even, like, even uh, though I know like, the, the chances of him signing with the Cubs were so low. The fact that it was like being talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks and months, it was like, man, that actually happened like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly how you said. Like It played out exactly yeah. kind of the way you would have expected it to, but it was still sad yeah. for me. Like, like the entire situation from the outside looking in sucked. Like, especially like I, not even so much for the Cubs, because like you guys were in it. But it was kind of rumored a little bit earlier on that the Cubs were probably not going to be the team, yada, yada, yada. It gave you time to kind of uh, realize that and internalize that and go, okay, there's a fairly decent chance that he doesn't pick us. And you could start to move on mentally. What the reporters did to fans and uh, of Toronto it astounds me like it's exactly the same thing that John Heyman did last year with Arson Judge and the San Francisco Giants people are so concerned about being the first to report the big news that they make a guess they're like trying to speak it into existence almost yeah and then it ends up not happening the way that they say that it's happened and it like not the entire internet is following every single reporter to go, Oh yeah, John Heyman's an idiot. Let me go look at another guy. And the other guy says, no, uh, I, I realized this time it was kind of JP Morosi, which surprised me a little bit. He's usually a bit more reserved on doing things like that. Yeah, he he apparently had a source that he really up. trusted. Right, yeah, and the the plane the plane tracking thing was quite funny to me that so many people were were tracking that plane, and uh, there was like a Reddit guy that was like, no, 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 this is like uh, the Shark Tank guy. I forgot his name right now. And uh, uh, Robert. Yeah, Robert. He because yeah, he he literally fun. no yeah because that the Reddit guy texted the the pilot because he knew him and was like is this, is this Robert like flying? And, and pilot was like, yeah, it is. So this guy was like, yeah, that's not Shohei Otani. And, and everyone was like, screw you. We don't believe you because they wanted yeah. to believe that Shohei was on the plane. Yeah. And, but it's the way that the media was covering the Shohei thing. 
is the entire reason that happened. It's the exact same thing that happened with Aaron Judge last year. They picked the biggest free agent, and then they have to be the first to break the big news of the year. They don't care about the second guy or the third guy so much, but the big one of the offseason they care about. And they have to be first. And they don't wait for the actual reputable sources. They kind of just go on the first, first, first flinch, if you will. Um, and I've got some friends who are huge Toronto fans and I feel horrible for them. Like I kind of had a feeling the entire time that it was not true and that he was going to end up going to the Dodgers and the entire time. It's like, this is going to suck for them. Yeah, and I, I was right. It was like Friday, last Friday, basically the entire day from the morning when, when the first tweet hit basically. It was like a party for Blue Jays fans because, like, you know, nothing better than uh, the news that your team is signing Otani. Like, the, that's that's the biggest news of the last decade. Maybe Blue Jays fans' life, probably, this yeah. happening for, like, one single move. And, uh, yeah, just kind of, like, it's bad that it happened like that. But Yeah. And and it's the second year in a row that it's happened. Happened with Giants fans last year. Happened with Toronto fans this year. I, I really, really hope that journalists realize what they are doing when they jump the gun like that. Like, I understand you want to be first, but just take a pause. You're all getting paid the same no matter what. You don't have to be first. If someone has a better source than you and they break it, okay, that's fine. Confirm it. Put it out there. You're still getting paid. But it, it just absolutely sucks, man. So, but Shohei is, in fact, with the Los Angeles Dodgers in Chavez Ravine. He doesn't have to move cities. He's still in L.A. It kind of makes a lot of sense to me. That this was how it's going to happen. Now, this isn't necessarily how it was going to happen based on what we've been learning. So Shohei Otani is actually the one that proposed this contract style, where the contract is $2 million a year for 10 years that actually gets paid directly to him. $44 million goes into an escrow account that then accrues interest and in 2034 he will start getting paid 68 million dollars a year for 10 years until 2043 along with that he has negotiated in an an opt-out clause that is entirely dependent on a couple specific people still being employed by the club those specific people, as far as we can tell based on what we've been able to find, is uh, Andrew Friedman, the president of baseball ops and GM. I think I have his title right. Is that right? I think he's just president, but yeah. Just president of baseball ops. And Mark Walter, who is the majority controlling owner. Yeah, he's the main owner, I guess you could call him. Okay, so if either of those guys end up not in those positions within the 10 years, Shohei can opt out at the end of the year. 
Yeah, my my initial thought on this was when when Andrew Friedman left his job with the Rays, that triggered a clause in Joe Madden's contract that he was able to to leave the Rays pretty much immediately and uh, became the Cubs manager. So Andrew Friedman is not uh, not necessarily going to be the Dodgers president in ten years from now. That's a very long time to be in one job because he's now been uh, with the Dodgers since what twenty. 2015 or thereabouts. Something like that. So, it's so been 20, almost 10 years. A, so that'll be near like 20 years of, of having the same job. How many people keep the same job for 20 years? Not, not a whole lot. No. So, so I mean, yeah. it's good for him that he, he has that option. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't want to end up in a situation kind of like what he ended up with it in the angels organization, but not, not quite. Cause like the angels were always kind of in a Artie Moreno's probably never going to sell. They're always going to be cheap, whatever. Um, the GM changed. And if he signed because of a specific GM, I'm sure he would have liked that clause. And maybe that's what he did. But, uh, now if something big changes to the point where the franchise might change their stance on how they're going to view winning. Yeah. He isn't out. That, that's, and that's the one that's like right now we can't even fathom the Dodgers not being like a competitive team. It doesn't even make sense to us. Yeah. But, uh, but in 10 years, they could very well yeah. not be the top of the division. Right. Yeah. I, I'll believe it when I see it, but yeah, it could happen. We don't know what's going to happen 10 years from now. I mean, Shohei could be, I don't know, not the same player then. He probably won't. Honestly, in 10 years, he probably won't be the same player. Yeah. Let's be real. He he might still be an amazing player, but he's not going to be this player. Right, yeah. So, we'll see. And then um, the but he has a couple other things. What? I was just going to talk about that contract structure with all the deferred money. Oh yeah. Um, go for it. Yeah. So this one, people were talking about like whether this could kind of become more of a, a thing that players like to do in free agency. And I, I think this is a one-off the more I've thought about it. I just don't think most players like the vast majority can make a move where they are giving up this much money in the present. And overall, sort of, because Shohei's got all his marketing uh, gigs. He makes a lot of money outside of his contract with his baseball team. And he has so many opportunities outside of baseball to, like, make money. So he's not really concerned about his actual salary today in 2024. Um, and, yeah, and he's trying to still... give the team the best odds to win. Like, that's clearly... The reason why he signed with the Dodgers and he's doing the contract is so they actually can build an awesome team around him because that's exactly what he has never had before. Yeah. And like Shohei makes about $50 million a year in endorsements. That is an insane amount of money. That's more than any major league player makes on their on-field salary per year. Probably so, like top like 20 players combined in MLB don't make that much money. Something like that. Yeah. So he's essentially making $52 million a year for 10 years to play. 
50 million of it is being footed by not the team. But then for 10 years after that, he's making 68 million a year. He's set himself up fantastically. Like, yeah, there's going to be inflation. There's going to be a whole bunch of things that make $68 million a year, 10 years from now, less money than it is today. But he's setting himself up to have a, a consistent stream of a lot of money for 20 years, more money than he'll be able to do anything with. And the thing that gets me, and I'm kind of switching gears here, is I keep scrolling through Twitter and People have gone from Shohei is the greatest thing to ever happen to baseball. And I still think that he is, mind you. And in two days, because people don't really fully understand the situation, now he's the most hated man in baseball because his salary is incredibly low. It's $2 million a year, according to what most people understand. So Ken Griffey Jr. is making more money this year. Chris Davis is making a lot more money this year, and neither one of them are in Major League Baseball. Chris Davis's contract still going? What? $9.3 million this year, I think. Do you have, like, other? deferred money or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of it. Um, so... Shohei is now the most hated man in baseball, which doesn't make sense. They say, well, this is a luxury tax loophole, and the team basically isn't paying anything for Shohei. They won't ever be penalized and whatever. No, he is still the most CBT player in Major League Baseball. $46 million a year for the CBT. That's a lot of money for a CBT that is $240 million. Right? Uh, or, yeah, uh, roughly? 237 something, yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of money towards the CBT. It's still going to put the Dodgers over, because they were at 200 and some mil at the end of last year. They're so, actually... Yeah, I think they're actually they, they, they have a lot of room to go, because yeah. I think they lost a lot of salary. They did, yeah. But, they're probably going to eclipse it. No, yeah, there's no doubt they're going to eclipse the first threshold. And this yeah. gives them that... I mean... Let's be realistic. If they were actually paying seventy million in AAV for for the CBT hit, then um, that makes things like very challenging. It becomes like a very difficult puzzle to to put together if you've got one player on your team taking up. That yeah, much because space. you have uh, what it's like fifteen percent tax the first year, twenty percent the second year, twenty five. No, sorry. 15, 25, 50, I think. That sounds about right. And that's not even taking into account the draft picks that you lose when you're a repeat offender. Yeah. Yeah. So just from a pure money standpoint, 15% of the money that you go over the luxury tax in tax to the teams that gets distributed. The second year, it goes to 25%. The third through the 10th year is 50% of everything you're over. And he's 70 million. Of what is right now 240. So that leaves you 170, which is a lot of money. A lot of other teams don't even have that for their their entire payroll. Um, but this is a team that very much wants to win. They want to win all the time. This, this Dodgers is the 90s Yankees. 
It's what yeah. they are. And so yeah, they got more moves coming now, now that they have this extra flexibility, I guess. Yeah. But this team is also really good at drafting. They don't want to give up all those draft picks. So this allows them to be able to still draft, develop players to come up and, and, um, not supplant, support the, uh, superstars that they bring in like Shohei, like Mookie Betts, who has deferred money, like Freddie Freeman, who has deferred money. It, it just, the reason it looks bad is because of the way that it's being covered. Like people aren't really explaining what's happening. It's not $2 million. It's $46 million because the team has to pay 46. Shohei is just not putting it in his bank account yet, but it's going in a bank account. It's going towards the CBT threshold. This is not the cheat code that everyone thinks it is. It's it's a little bit of a cheat code. It's not the same cheat code that everyone thinks it is. Yeah, I guess I wanted to address that part. So the reason it's actually in there is because the players wanted it in there. So they have this option to do deferred contracts. So it's not it's not even like fully a team friendly thing because the players themselves were okay with this happening. And kind of both sides agreed that this is a a a real thing you can do in this form of the um CBA and it's a rule, you know, it's like in the rules. So the Dodgers allowed to to follow the rules and and, and do yeah, this. And like I don't see what the problem is. Then the other argument that people keep making is that the Dodgers are the only team that could have possibly done this. No 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 did I say no enough? Did you no. did you catch on to the fact that that was incorrect? No. No. Shohei came up with this idea. Shohei proposed it to the Dodgers. You know who else Shohei proposed it to? Every team he was negotiating with. They were all given this opportunity. And when you end up doing the math, you figure out that it's $460 million of basically right now's money or $437 million if you're the uh, MLBPA. However, they valued it. I don't fully understand that one, but sure, whatever. It's $460 million. So, like, a lot of teams knew that he was going to be around 500 in present-day money. Like, it checks out. Like, no team really scoffed at it. In fact, uh, Farhan Zaidi actually said, we said, yeah. Yeah, we'll do that if it. you want to come here. And it was up to him. Like, there were other teams that said, yes, we will do exactly that if that if you want to come here. And then it was up to him to decide where he wanted to play, which is how it should be. So this is not something that was like, a, the Dodgers are the only team that could do it. Other teams could, other teams would, other teams said yes. Period. Yeah, yeah. And then he made the decision that was best for him based on his personal life, his family, his his comfort level. And that's where it ended up going back to L.A., which is kind of what I predicted. At the, and a lot of people predicted before yeah. the offseason started. So it's like you I mean, if you ask most 
baseball fans that are pretty tuned in, you know, if you had full choice and every team in the league was offering you the same huge contract, which team would you pick? Most people would say the Dodgers, right? Like, why wouldn't the second team would be the Braves? Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of great reasons to go to Toronto. There's a ton of good reasons to go to San Francisco. Like, I can't imagine it was an easy decision. But the positives for for L.A. are astounding. Add in the fact that he doesn't have to move and he's already got friends there and all that. And it's just, it's so appealing that, it, yeah, it kind of made sense. Yeah, you can still um, hang out with Mike Trout on the weekends. Exactly. And he can convince Mike Trout to request a trade to the Dodgers. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? So um, so I have two more points that I want to make with Shohei before we move on, because we do have a couple other things that we want to talk about. Uh, one of them is that is not all that's in Shohei's contract. Shohei got a couple other things that these are just little treats. Little, little treats. You know, love them. Uh, eBay. Everyone's favorite interpreter, the guy who recruited Lars Newtbar to Team Samurai Japan for the WBC, he's back. He's staying with Shohei. He'll be there for 10 years. We love it. <laughs> Let's go, Ipe. Um, secondly, Shohei gets a suite behind home plate for every home game, period, including the postseason. Um, so that's cool. Uh, we got to become friends with him. We got to get into that suite. That's going to be um, fun to see who who is populating that suite during the season. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is Shohei is actually going to donate 1% of his salary to the club charity. Okay. Which, you say 1%, that's not a whole lot. And I'm not sure if that's of the $2 million or if that's of the entire time that he's part of it. So I don't know if that counts the... 68 million for 10 years later. I I assume it probably does. Like <laughs> But that's a lot of money going to charity. Yes, yes it is. So let's go. That's a lot of money. Second question that I have for you. The last the last thing before we move on from Shohei for tonight. He took number 17 as we expected. Um but that Wait, means do we know that, that for sure? He hasn't been introduced yet. I thought that the Dodgers announced they were giving him 17. Oh, I guess I don't know for sure. Did they not? I don't know. Maybe they did. You could be right. Let's assume. Let's assume that they did. Because they're already selling Dodgers number 17 jerseys oh, on Fanatic. Yeah. So they sold like they sold a record in 48 hours. In 48 hours. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be number 17, but that leaves not one, but two players without a number. One of them wore number 17 early last season before going back down to the minors in Miguel Vargas. The second one, reliever, who also just re-signed with the Dodgers this offseason, Joe Kelly. These are two superstars. Absolute legends of the game without identities. What numbers do they wear and why? Uh, We're going full just, MLB uh, network. I'm going to ask you a pointless question and expect an answer. They, uh, they're going to like be so upset about this that they're going to request not having numbers on their backs. They're going to go. I think school. Miguel Vargas is going to request number zero, and I think Joe Kelly's going to request number 69. That checks out. 
It really does, doesn't it? All right. So, Shohei signed. Things are going to happen because Shohei signed. The first thing happened because Shohei signed. And one of the teams that didn't get him, the San Francisco Giants went out and signed Korean outfielder Jung-Hoo Lee to a six million, or sorry, not a six million, a six-year, $113 million contract to play center field for them. What do you think? Yeah. Huge move. I think I I really like it the more I've been thinking about it because the Giants just need they're kind of like they're kind of like the Royals, obviously at a, at a at a slightly higher level, but they they just need good players. They need talent. And if you look right now, Jung Hoo Lee's probably their best um best outfielder on the team right now, just like from day one. He plays a true center field. He's got elite contact skills. He was basically like the premier Korean baseball player for like the last seven years. Um, yeah. And he showed up in the WBC and he performed like Korea didn't make it quite as far as Japan did. So like, I think there's going to be a lot of people that don't really remember him from the WBC, but he played really, really well along with a couple other guys in that team. Um, and he's 25 years old. He's going to come over and he has a real chance to kind of pull a, Oh, like a Masataka Yoshida from last year, where he's an underrated guy that's basically playing for the rookie of the year. I think he's, I think he's actually better than Yoshida. Um, well, I, I think he's better, but I think people are going to kind of forget about him until like halfway through the season when he's having a rookie of the year campaign, and then they're going to go like, "Oh yeah, this guy exists." Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really think Yoshida's season was that great. I think he can do a lot better than that initially. I, probably, but he had a fairly solid season. It was like a one less than a one more season. So it was tough. Um, I thought it was fairly solid. The guy that he gets comp to is his former teammate uh, with Kium uh, Heroes. And that was um, Hassan Kim, who almost had like identical stats to him when they both played in Korea together in would have been 2020, I think. And they're kind of similar type players. 2020 or 19? I think 2020. Hmm? They played a full season in Korea that year. Um, oh, that's right. Because Korea knew what they were doing and we didn't. Yeah, yeah. But uh, maybe that's like a good, good comp for him. I mean, Kim came off a really good season this year and... and um, but it did take him kind of a little bit, like even years to. to yeah, I mean, it took team. him two and a half years to really kind of figure it out. Yeah. So but, that's like. Well, but then he was essentially the superstar of the of the Padres last year. Yeah, he was great. So maybe that's what we can look to Lee to do soon. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of other moves that now happen kind of because Shohei finally signed. Yamamoto's getting close. He's starting to negotiate with a lot of teams, have their meetings. There's like seven teams that are in on him. There's Imanaga. There's Specifically because of Lee signing, the best center fielder available is um, Cody Bellinger. And there's kind of, in my eyes, I think there's only two teams that would really sign him. That would be the Blue Jays, who might be desperate now after Shohei. They missed on Shohei, and they didn't get Lee, and then the Cubs. So 
it'll be interesting to see where he signs. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we might be talking about here in the future, but there's a couple more things that happened here in the past that we should talk about. One of them is, so we talked last week about how the, the Braves went out and traded Jackson Cowar, who I completely forgot that they had on their team because they signed him in November and, uh, Phillips, what's his first name? Cole. Cole Phillips uh, and traded them for Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White in a very clear salary dump uh, by the Mariners that brought in Kelnick. They then traded Marco to the Pirates. Well, they're not really done. They uh, ended up sending Evan White along with Tyler Thomas to the Angels and got back Max Stassi and David Fletcher. And I believe some of the money ended up going to the Angels, right? Uh, yeah, some of it, but they basically took all that. They took on Evan White's big contract, and then they traded a lot of that contract to the Angels because he can actually play there. Yeah, and then they traded Max Stassi after they got him from the Angels to the White Sox. Right. So Max Stassi is now the starter backup. He would actually play a lot is, with the White Is Yaz? Is Yaz? Yaz is still in. No, I think the White Sox. Uh, I think he's done. I think he's a free agent. Is he? I think his deal's over, right? I feel like he might have like one more year. Years, right? Yes, Monty Grandal. Um, not on the White Sox. Is a free agent. Yeah. Well, I'll be darned. But yeah, like he's he basically goes into a spot now where he can compete to start, if not just outright be the starter. But then David Fletcher got DFA today, right? Yeah, he got outrighted to the minors. Okay, outrighted to the minors. So basically, the Braves took on a ton of money, then traded away a ton of money. Uh, along with the players they don't want, and they basically got Jared Kelnick for very little. Yeah, is Alex essentially Antopoulos what happened here, right? Very good at his job. Like he kind of knows what he's doing. He just did that also yeah. rapidly. You know, he would like trade for a guy and then trade him the next day and and get something out of it. So like, good on him. Braves are Braves are a very well oiled machine. Yeah. So I I feel like the Braves aren't done. They're going to be doing something else. They're going to sign a big uh, starter or trade for one. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. And I think the... Do you have anything else on the Braves? No. All right. The last thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, because I can't not talk about them. The Cubs haven't made any moves, otherwise we would talk about them. But they suck. They don't remember how the offseason works. Cardinals finally do, for the first time ever. So after getting three starters earlier in the offseason, the Cardinals finally traded away Tyler O'Neill to Boston for Nick Robertson, who is a uh, bullpen or bullpen right-handed pitcher, and Victor Santos, who is still in the minors, um, another right-handed pitcher. And then they also picked up uh, Ryan Fernandez in the Rule 5 draft, uh, Major League portion. He is another right-handed pitcher expected to be in the bullpen. 
So the Cardinals now this offseason have picked up three starting pitchers, one good one, and two that are there. Um, they're probably going to throw a decent number of innings, assuming that they don't like explode. They've also got Nick Robertson, who is a 25-year-old reliever, could actually be a pretty good reliever. And Ryan Fernandez, another 25-year-old, and a, I don't really want to call him a prospect, but a minor league reliever who could come up and help out at some point later in the year. So the pitching staff that was abysmal last year has seen a lot of turnover, and uh, this could end up working out. It might not, but awesome. My question is, Tyler O'Neill's gone. Last year, and we talked about it earlier today, the Cardinals had this logjam in the outfield where basically there were so many players that none of them could get regular at-bats, and none of them could really take a role and run with it. So now that TON's gone, how does this play out? I mean, we've got Newt, we've got Jordan Walker, and then we've got Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson, um, Tommy Edmond is expected to play center field this year. Um, I feel like I'm missing one more. Uh, Richie Palacios. So we have six outfielders now. Juan Yepes is gone. Tyler O'Neill's gone. Did you say Burleson? Yes, I did say okay. Burleson. Yeah, so like I think it's pretty it's honestly pretty straightforward now. It's uh you know that Newt Barr and Walker are gonna be everyday guys, and Tommy Edmonds probably gonna be in the lineup at least every day if if he's not switching between infield and outfield, but like he's gonna play a lot. And then Carlson's kind of like the fourth outfielder. And Burleson's more like a bench guy. And Palacios. That's well. fair. So the one thing that is going to be interesting for me is if Mason Wynn actually gets the full-time shortstop job 150 games a year. Because he might. It just is entirely dependent on his bat. Um, if he does, then we've now got Donovan and Gorman, who basically play second base, period. Uh, both of those guys need to be in the lineup, period. Well, you got DH, too. You do, but I think that's where you start running out of ABs. Is Donovan because... healthy? Can he actually play the field? Yeah. He, he, he will be able to game. next year. Okay. Yeah, he'll be healthy for the beginning of the year. Um, but, like, Burleson has a really, really good contact tool. Like an insanely good contact tool. The main thing with him is he hasn't been elevating the ball. So if they can work with him this offseason and he starts elevating, then they're going to want to get him more ABs. And with Burleson, he's not really a strong fielder. So DH is kind of the only spot for him. Gorman is a much better fielder than he used to be. But if Donovan's playing second, DH is the spot for him. You've got rest days, obviously, for Nato and Goldie, who the Cardinals are apparently talking about extensions with, or an extension with, with Goldie. Um, but, I don't know. I, I, I think that moving O'Neal was a necessity. Um, the return for him wasn't huge, but then again, he didn't have very good trade value either. I think they missed the boat, and that's what we talked about a little bit earlier on, right? They should have traded a guy last year 
Yeah. But I still feel like there's almost one more guy that's going to have to go from this lineup for this to truly cement and gel and have enough ABs while also having depth. You know what I mean? They've got some good depth, I feel like, right now with the outfield. Yeah, but I still feel like there's too many guys that are like, major league level right now because like richie palacios we didn't talk about at all like he actually had a really good season last year in the time that he was able to play like i think that there's a uh he deserves a shot on some team so even if he's the guy that's gone there's still one too many guys yeah maybe Um, so i think the o'neill the boston side is quite interesting because Obviously, O'Neal has a lot of uh, power and potential. He had a really good 2021 season, but then he's been just like hampered by injuries and stuff always happens to him. And he actually has really only had that one season where he was good basically the whole way through. He's had stretches. It was the one season that he limbered up before. Yes, exactly. He did yoga instead of powerlifting that season. And he forgot that that worked. I believe so. But, like, just think about this guy in uh, Fenway Park. That seems like just a perfect fit for the guy. Like, yeah, he, he'll hit everything over that wall. Yeah, no, like, it's literally like just aim at that wall and uh, you'll hit a ton of doubles. And you'll probably hit a ton of homers, too. And, um, and honestly, if he hits it in left center into like the deep, well, basically center in the deep part, he'll get triples out of it, too. He's fast. Right. Yeah, so like so. that's good landing spot for Tyler O'Neill, and he's going to be obviously motivated because it's his contract year, and, and you know he wants to get back in the twenty twenty one season and kind of uh, see what you're missing to the Cardinals, sort of thing. Especially yeah. after what Boris was just saying here at the winter meetings, like they basically said, if you have someone who can come in and replace a two-time All-Star with this many home runs, kudos to you. And then they traded him for basically two no-name relievers. So Shows what they think of, of him at this point, or basically what they could get for him, really. Uh, what they could get for him. Honestly, I think it's what Ali Marmol thinks of him. Um, well, you know, what do I know? He, there was definitely something going on in the clubhouse between him and Ali, and a, it, it was not great which is the reason that he was the one that left also the fact that he's going to be a free agent after next year but it just it made too much sense so you know whatever all right do you have anything else you want to talk about tonight i don't think so all right Well, that is all we have for you guys tonight. Thank you very, very much for hanging out with us. We will be back here next week, I believe. Uh, Although it's getting awfully close to Christmas, so we will let you know in the social media. But if we forget to let you know in the social media, like we do all the time, uh, just check back in on Wednesday and we'll record live. So that's all we got for tonight. Uh, Thank you very much, and we will see you next week. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and YouTube to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. 
Join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Getaway Day Pod. If you enjoy card collecting, check out our sister YouTube channel at Getaway Day Cards.